Find out today what President Joe Biden and Xi Jinping said about Taiwan during their virtual summit. And Stash Butler talks with Stanford political scientist Karis Templeman about where the two leaders are going with their Taiwan policies. Coffee beans from Taiwan sold for a thousand U.S. dollars a kilogram at a recent auction. We'll tell you why people are paying big bucks for a Taiwanese coffee. Finally, in hashtag Taiwan, I get really weirded out by a Chinese propaganda video calling for people to visit Taiwan in 2035. This is Taiwan Insider. Was the biggest topic of contention when the leaders of the world's two superpowers met this week in their first virtual summit about Taiwan? President Joe Biden said the United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. While Xi Jinping said China is patient and seeks peaceful reunification. But if Taiwan secessionists provoke or even cross the red line, we will have to take decisive measures. They had different interpretations of their dialogue on Taiwan as well. After the summit, Chinese state media reported that Biden said the U.S. does not support Taiwan independence. Biden then later called Taiwan independent, which caused some confusion. So when reporters got a chance to talk to him, they asked him all about his Taiwan policy. We're not going to change our policy at all. Can you clarify what the policy is? Because you said today independence, and in the past. No, no. Said I said that they have to decide. They, Taiwan, not us. And we are not encouraging independence. We're encouraging that they do exactly what the Taiwan Act requires, and that's what we're doing. Let them make up their mind. Period. Can Taiwan you give us any more specifics up... about what you talked about last night on this topic? We talked for three and a half hours, and that's the essence of the bottom line. Look, I made it clear. I made it clear all along that we're going to abide by the rules of the road. What constitutes international airspace is international airspace, no matter what they say. There's no air identification zones, what they call. Secondly, the law of the seas requires and dictates what constitutes territorial waters. We're going to stay outside of their territorial waters, but we're not going to be intimidated or changed to not go up through the South China Sea. And we talked about that. It was, there was no argumentation, just a matter of fact. Thank you. You're going to freeze. So, what do Washington and Beijing want from one another when it comes to Taiwan? Well, Stash Butler spoke with political scientist Carlos Templeman, who heads the Taiwan Project at Stanford University. Well, on the Washington side,、uh, I think they're alarmed at the military modernization program in the PRC, and they're alarmed at the threats, the increasingly brazen and、uh, belligerent threats against the current government of Taiwan. And they'd like to see Beijing, if not end that threat, at least roll it back and、uh, reduce, particularly the military exercises in and near Taiwan's ADIs. That's first and foremost, and then、uh, more generally, they'd like to see a more cooperative、uh, policy towards Taiwan from Beijing. I think over the last five years, Beijing has really、uh, gotten quite rigid and quite inflexible on its Taiwan policy, and the U.S. would like to see them、uh, shift.、Uh, on the 
Beijing side of this, uh, they are, are deeply suspicious of DPP and Tsai Ing-wen. Uh, they are also suspicious that the U.S. is encouraging or, or fomenting an independence movement in Taiwan uh, and backing the DPP and Tsai as part of that. And they're, I think, increasingly alarmed that we've uh, relaxed some self-imposed restrictions in our own one China policy and our approach to Taiwan. And so they'd like to see us uh, kind of return to probably an Obama-era uh, strategy towards uh, dealing with Taiwan. On that topic, how would you characterize the difference between um, the kind of the last three U.S. presidents in their approach to this issue and the issue, well, and their relationship with China more generally? There's been a, actually, from my position, having worked mostly on Taiwan issues for the last decade, there's been a tremendous shift in the kind of attitude in D.C. towards Taiwan uh, from viewing it mostly as uh, an irritant or a problem in the U.S.-China relationship that needs to be managed, and the better managed, the less we hear about it, to, um, uh, I think, a greater appreciation now that it's a real valuable partner and asset for the United States, that we are heavily reliant on uh, certain exports out of Taiwan, that the threat to Taiwan actually threatens not just the, the people and the government of Taiwan itself, but also the greater UN's alliance system in the region, and that uh, our relationship with Taiwan should be less contingent on uh, how the uh, People's Republic of China feels about it. You're uniquely placed at the Hoover Institution to to be around, I suppose, some of the top kind of perhaps thought leaders and policymakers um, in this idea uh, or in the in the in the field of of U.S.-China relations. How do you assess the threat of an attack on Taiwan? Um, so I, I'm surrounded by a lot of people very worried about the threat uh, of an attack in the near term, uh, like within the next. 24 to 36 months, uh, and I actually perhaps am in the minority in thinking that's very unlikely. My own view of China's approach to Taiwan issues is that they're, they've kind of been on autopilot for the last five years ever since Tsai Ing-wen was elected. Uh, Taiwan has not been a particularly high priority of Xi Jinping. Uh, he's worried a lot more about domestic issues and about like the Belt and Road Initiative uh, and uh, kind of building a, a better image for China abroad. I think that's backfired. Um, but the results of their Taiwan policy has really put them in a much worse position than they were in five years ago. So as a consequence, the the, the kind of uh, military exercises we see in the, the air and sea space near Taiwan are... Uh, in my view, the kind of end state of a failed strategy. Uh, and while nobody in China will admit it, the smarter ones, I think, are, are realizing that they need some way, some kind of off-ramp or some way to change Taiwan policy that gets them out of this corner that they've kind of backed themselves into. What do you think that kind of policy would be? Well, um, I, I think they'd really like a different president in Taiwan. Uh, I think right now there's a lot of wishing, hoping, I guess, that um, in 2024 the Taiwanese political system will spit out somebody they can work with. I don't think that's impossible. I wouldn't base your whole strategy around that prospect, though. And so I've been surprised, I think, at how rigid and how uh, how unwilling they have been to engage with Tsai Ing-wen and anyone else in the DPP. Uh, that was a mistake when they initially decided that she hadn't done enough and that they were going to uh, 
uh, just ignore her and pressure her and try to undermine her government. Um, I think that's backfired, and I think, frankly, she is the best DPP president from their perspective they'll ever get. And so their unwillingness to work with her suggests that there's there's really no upside for anybody in the DPP to pursue a kind of moderate cross-strait policy in the future. And so if in the next uh, president, if the successor to Tsai Ing-wen is also from the DPP, they have a lot less incentive to to uh, be conciliatory and reach out to Beijing than even Tsai Ing-wen has. So I think they need to reassess how they deal not only with the DPP, which frankly has won, you know, they've twice been elected by large margins uh, to the executive in Taiwan. They have the support of the majority of the Taiwanese people, and you have to take that into account. And so um, over the long run, I think they need to reassess uh, where public opinion is headed in Taiwan and uh, maybe dial down the hard part of their strategy and dial up the soft part. If you ask a coffee lover where their favorite coffee bean comes from, odds are they're not going to say Taiwan. But if recent trends persist, well, Taiwanese coffee is about to be all the rage. A recent Taiwanese short film about local coffee has increased its popularity in Japan. Taiwan's coffee plantations sit at various altitudes, from 200 meters to over 1,000 meters above sea level, and that creates a variety of exquisite flavors. Although there's a lot to love about Taiwanese coffee, its price tag is not one of them. Taiwanese coffee is usually two to three times more expensive than local coffee in Japan. Some might ask, why are Japanese consumers willing to pay such a high price? Nantou County official Chen Rongjun says this is partially due to colonizing Taiwan in the first half of the 20th century. Taiwan was once the largest coffee producer in Southeast Asia, so coffee enthusiasts in Japan love its unique flavor. Chen says that Taiwan is also one of the few countries that controls its coffee process from start to finish. Countries that consume the most coffee are usually at latitudes too high to produce their own coffee. In Taiwan, everything from growing and producing the beans, sales and marketing, and consumption are all managed in a seamless chain. This way, consumers can be sure they're getting a superb, fresh cup of joe. With all this in mind, it's clear why Taiwanese coffee is on the rise. Over the past few years, Taiwan's coffee beans have won awards at many international competitions. Taiwan is now including coffee as a major tourist attraction for the first time. With all that caffeine, tourists are sure to be full of energy to explore the rest of Taiwan's spectacular sights. Now, exactly how good is Taiwanese coffee? Well, one brand of Taiwanese coffee beans actually went for 1,000 US dollars per kilo at auction recently. Now, I'm no coffee expert, but that sounds pretty good to me. Would you pay 1,000 US dollars for a kilo of coffee? In the world of coffee connoisseurs, that's not an outrageous proposition, even if the coffee comes from a relatively unknown region like the mountains of Taiwan's Jai County. The mountains of Jai are a famous tea-growing region, and since 2001, they've been producing coffee too. One local grower, Zhou Wu Cafe, has now shown just how far Jai's coffee has come, and how great its potential is, at an international coffee competition and auction organized by the Council of Agriculture. The event invited coffee buyers from 14 countries, including the U.S. and Japan, to bid on Taiwan-grown coffees. And the highest bid was for Zhou Cafe's beans, a kilo of which went for 1,078 U.S. dollars. Experts praised the coffee's sweet, fruity notes, with hints of tropical fruit such as passion fruit and mango. 
Next up, Leslie Liao takes a deep dive into a rather unsettling piece of music in Hashtag Taiwan. China has done many things in its effort to convince the world that Taiwan is part of its territory. For one, it sends warplanes into Taiwan's air defense identification zone on the regular. According to Taiwan's defense ministry, Chinese aircraft incursions into Taiwan's ADIZ happen almost every day. China also pressures artists and celebrities, coercing them into apologizing for saying and doing things China doesn't like. For example, we talked about how Taiwanese celebrities Zhou Lintai and Xu Di were lambasted by Chinese internet users for congratulating Taiwan's national athletes on winning gold at the Olympics. John Cena apologized to China for calling Taiwan a country. And Taiwanese member of Korean girl group TWICE, Zhou Ziyu, apologized because she waved a Taiwanese flag on camera. Stuff like this is kind of normal. Yeah, I'm still disappointed when it happens, but I've grown kind of used to it by now. However, this week, China came up with something new, and it made me go, Oh, oh no. Odds are, you've probably heard of the Chinese social media platform, Douyin, although outside of China, it's called TikTok. It's a microblog, which means content creators create videos that are less than one minute long. They post anything from silly lip syncs and dances, and it's been a platform to popularize songs in the past. And creativity is great, especially musical creativity. But what's coming next straight up gave me the chills, man. There's a song circulating on Douyin right now called 2035 Taiwan, which translates into Let's go to Taiwan in the year 2035. And if you think that this is a song released by the Taiwanese government to promote tourism, then you'd be wrong. Though I wish you were right. Oh, how do I wish you were right. <laughs> song is clearly a Chinese production. The people singing it do so in Chinese accents, but they're singing about visiting tourist attractions in Taiwan. The first part of the song talks about going to the outlying Penghu Island, Alishan Mountain, and Sun Moon Lake. Then it talks about visiting Chinese landmarks like Tiananmen Square and the Great Wall of China, as if to say, if you're visiting these places in Taiwan, you might as well visit China because they're the same place. Ha ha China, very subtle. But if you want to talk about really subtle, the song directly references a Chinese dream, a term closely associated with Chinese President Xi Jinping, which he called a great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. So if there was any doubt in your mind at all that this song was political in nature, that should be gone right now. I'm talking like flush down the toilet gone. There is an obvious disconnect between the song's subject matter and how it's presented. For example, one of the lyrics say, which means, let's get on a train and go to Taiwan. First of all, Taiwan and China are separated by a body of water, so it's physically impossible to do that. But, as Stash has informed me, this lyric may refer to an infrastructure plan which China hopes to complete by 2035. That plan will seek to connect Taiwan and China via a cross-strait train line. At their closest, China and mainland Taiwan are separated by 100 miles of water. So you're telling me that China wants to build a train over all of that? 
Second of all, in Taiwan, we do not call trains 动车, we call them 火车. But the absolute creepiest part of all of this to me is the little girl singing the song. It kind of gives me vibes of the 2008 Beijing Olympics where another girl lip-synced the Chinese national anthem because organizers thought the girl who actually sang the anthem wasn't cute enough. There's also this montage of women dancing in what looked like traditional indigenous outfits, which... I don't know if those are completely accurate. The video says the indigenous groups are part of China's 56 ethnic minorities, which I don't know, man, but it sounds like they're grouping all of Taiwan's indigenous groups into one general group called Gao San Zhu, which roughly means high mountain people. But 2035 is more than a decade away. The song sounds like it's implying a future where Taiwan is part of China, which underlies a threat of force to the overall upbeat tone of the song. Oh, it's... It's all just so creepy. Now look, I have absolutely no problem with Chinese people visiting Taiwan. Come, come and explore this great and beautiful country. But this song framing Taiwan as part of China just weirds me out, man. Like, singing about a place doesn't mean you own it. Otherwise, Jay-Z and Alicia Keys would own New York City, Tupac would own California, and John Denver would own West Virginia. And I'm sorry to break it to you, China. It just don't work that way. Before we leave you, here's a look at some of the other news stories that are on our radar. Taiwan's Air Force has formally commissioned its first F-16V fighter wing as part of a project to upgrade its existing F-16A-B jets. The commissioning took place Thursday at the Air Force's Jiayi base, with President Tsai in attendance. During remarks at the commissioning ceremony, Tsai held the introduction of the newly upgraded jets as a landmark in Taiwan-U.S. ties, as well as in aerospace technology and the strength of Taiwan's Air Force. The DPP and KMT are gearing up for a bitter campaign over Taiwan's fourth nuclear power plant. Taiwanese voters will be asked in a referendum next month whether to restart construction on the mothballed plant. The KMT wants construction to recommence, while the DPP is opposed. The government recently announced a new plan where travelers can stay in quarantine hotels for the first seven days after their arrival and then finish their second week of quarantine at home. This might sound like a money saver, but prices for a quarantine room have spiked. And good luck getting a room in the first place. Hotels in much of urban Taiwan are already booked solid for the month of January. And we're back in the studio with our final question of the day. And today I'm going to be posing a question to my co-hosts. Uh, guys... You saw that video that I covered in hashtag. I think I made it abundantly clear how I felt about it. Um, but suppose President Tsai Ing-wen called you up today and she was just like, Stash, Natalie, we have to counter this. Yeah. You guys got to come up with a video to counter yeah. that. Yeah. What would you feature front and center in that video, Stash? Well, you know what? I think this is, this is an interesting one. I think I would go with birds. Oh. I wow. think Taiwan, uh, Taiwan has amazing bird life. I have uh, friends who are very into birds. <laughs> I think uh, that would be an interesting avenue to explore in a propaganda video. Pretty good, yeah. Okay, well, birds have a lot of freedom, right? <laughs> so that would go together. That's, That's a big what one. we love in Taiwan is freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, right? And so we want to promote that around the world. Uh, for me, my answer is going to be culture, specifically indigenous culture. Mm. Because um, hitting back at that video, man, I just don't think they got Taiwan's indigenous culture very yeah. accurate. Well, it's interesting, True. isn't it? That whole the whole thing about the how the CCP recognizes fifty six minority, fifty six ethnic yeah. groups, and they group all of Taiwan's 
indigenous people into into one group. Yeah, that, that yeah. whole dance as well was. Uh, I don't think it was very accurate. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. We do hope you enjoyed it. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Leslie Liao. I'm Stash Butler. And I am Natalie So. Make sure to follow our social media channels. You can catch us on Facebook and YouTube. And do subscribe and leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, tweet at us. Tell us what you think about the show. Our handle is Taiwan Insider. Anyway, guys, until next week, we'll see you around. Bye.